0: Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at YPCprior.com and enjoy the message today. Guys, join us in welcoming our guest speaker for today, Rachel Strain. How y'all doing? Part of me wanted to just make Ruben stay up here even though I'm not like gonna start us out all holy and like organy. but I just thought it would be fun to like just, just throw him a curveball. ball. You guys doing all right today? You guys hesitated. Are you nervous that you see a person with a leather jacket up here? I get it. Um, or you're like Rachel, you wear that leather jacket every time you preach, you're right. I just want you to know what you are in for so uh, my name is Rachel strange if you don't already know uh, my husband's actually the kids pastor here at your place church um, that Uh, We love our ministry life here, and this doesn't have anything to do with anything, but my little brother James is actually preaching at his church in Marble Falls, Texas this very weekend, and I just think that's fun, so this is what I want you to do. Yes, I'm going to make you do a thing. We're going to send it to him later with my terrible old phone, and so I want you guys, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to do a video, okay? You're all gonna look lovely in it. I, I didn't ask anyone's permission to do this, okay? Um, you're gonna say, we'll back up so as many of you as possible can be in it. You're gonna be like, you got this, James, okay? So I'm gonna count to three. One, two, three, loud as you can. Ah, James! Aww, that's beautiful. Thank you, thank you for humoring me. So, again, if you don't know me, I got two kids. I got a great husband. I accidentally logged myself out of this iPad that's not mine, so I have to look up my note that tells me the login for it. I told it to not lock. I don't know if it just doesn't believe me because it knows that I'm not its owner and it's just rebelling. Okay, there we go. All right, so here we are. We are in James. We've been hanging out in James for a second. We're getting to the end of James. Maybe you're excited about that. Maybe you're sad about that. I don't know. But one thing I love about this series is that it has helped us slow down as we think through scripture. And I'm hoping that for some of you, maybe who you have a hard time reading the Bible, you're actually not alone. It's a frequent conversation that I have with people. Like, I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know. Like, I try and I just get bored or I just get confused and then I quit. And I'm hoping that this series is helping you see some ways, giving you some thoughts. And I just, because reading the Bible is just a big, it's just my thing. If you know me, you know I will stand up and freak out about that at any given time. So this is just Rachel's tip for Bible reading for you. This is what I think would be really cool as we're all we've all been going through the book of James together here What if sometime this week you sat down and either listened to I thought someone was shouting me down and amen already. I was like nothing's even happened, but yeah, I'm glad you've got the spirit and uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is what I want you to do sometime this week set aside some time maybe 30 minutes and Either listen to, because it's not cheating to listen to the Bible. The Bible was originally written to be listened to, so you're literally just actually doing it the right way. Okay, so listen to the Bible or read all of James, because this is what I want you to think about. So but we, I think we talked about this, but James was actually written by the brother of Jesus, okay? So the brother of Jesus, he writes this letter, and then that letter begins to circulate through all of these churches in the early church. And they, they probably mostly met in houses. So here you, so like, imagine, put yourself in the place of these early churches. And you, you show up for your weekend gathering. You're hanging out at the house. Everybody's there. And you hear somebody say, we have a letter from James. We've, James, like the brother of, yeah. The brother. So we're gonna sit down. We're gonna listen to the letter today, and just like put yourself in that mind. I just think there's something really cool about us taking ourselves to the place where the the original people were who received the scripture, and it helps us realize the urgency of the words. Where there was these people, and maybe they were facing different trials, different persecutions, different stuff, and here comes this letter from. James. All right, that's Rachel's two cents. That has nothing to do with the rest of the message. I just think you should do it. Go read or listen to the book of James all in one sitting sometime this this week. Just my challenge to you. All right, so here we go. James 3.13. So we're in James 3 now. We're getting there. All right, James 3.13 says this. This is our, our text for today. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So this chunk of scripture that uh, I was given as we're going through, it uses the term selfish ambition twice. So I was kind of curious about, about that. So you know the Bible was translated and sometimes there's a word that's one word in the original language and it's two words in ours and selfish ambition is actually one of those things. It was one word in the original Greek. And that word has this connotation of a person who is jockeying, who is leveraging, who's using a little bit of trickery to get themselves into a position of influence or authority or renown or fame. It has a very like kind of trying to acquire a political office through eh, means kind of connotation to it. So what? What is that? What does that mean for us? Maybe you you have no desire to acquire a political office. You're like I'm not I'm not I'm not jockeying for any position or favor. But think about this: the selfish ambition, the you know the humble brags that you put out there. It's in the Bible. It's when King David numbered his army. He took a he took a census of his army, which God didn't want him to do. It's when the disciples, while Jesus is washing their feet, being a servant to them, they're arguing about who's going to sit next to him when he comes into his kingdom. That's selfish ambition. It's putting our needs above the needs of our spouse. It's always needing to be the person that gets the credit. Selfish ambition. It's an attitude that puts our concerns, our needs, as the priority in life. That's selfish ambition. And some of us in the room may hear the scripture, hear what I read, Like you think, okay, I don't have selfish ambition. Don't worry, I've never had ambition for anything. And you think that you're out. But you're not, okay? So just letting let you know, That probably James, the book of James, if you've been here, you know, he pokes and he prods you and he messes with you a little bit. And that is the same thing in this scripture. It is my heart not to mess with you to be mean, but to mess with you in the same kind of way that James messes with you. So I'm telling you that to warn you so you can just like take a deep breath. Rachel is going to poke me a little bit today. But it is going to be okay, and it is out of a desire to help you live a life that is more satisfying, more fulfilling, more exciting, more of an adventure, more, more, life to the full. And this isn't more for the sake of more. This message, I wouldn't consider it a do more message. It's a do more of what matters message. It's a spend less time on the stuff that won't last message because the truth is to serve god we do have to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things and like and this isn't a like you never get to take a breath you never get to rest nobody advocates for the sabbath stronger than rachel okay i could just tell you all about how beautiful the saturdays are that we take off and i do not answer your phone calls unless i think you're dying, and. Like, I don't, like, it's just, and I I just, and like, you know, Jesus healed on the Sabbath, so if somebody needs healed, I'll go do that. But I definitely am like a big believer, and we work out of rest. We don't work to rest. And that isn't just an attitude of on Saturday, I made the joke about how we take the day off. That is an attitude of every moment of my life, I am resting in who the Savior says that I am. So everything that I'm about to say, take a deep breath, I'm saying it out of that mindset of resting in who the Savior says I am, working out of who the Savior says that I am, and being empowered by the Spirit of God. Okay? All right. So take a deep breath. had already got in the room. Sorry about that, but also not. I mean, I am, but I also like it's going to happen. So let's pray. (laughs) Dear Lord Jesus, It is my honest and earnest desire that every word that comes out of my mouth will be what you would have it to be. God, I'm preaching to myself just as much as anybody else. Fix the selfish ambition in my heart and replace it with your holy ambition. God, I pray for every person in this room, no matter where they are on their journey with Jesus. God, whether they have questions, whether they're already in love with you. God, whatever it is that you point out what you want them to see about you. I don't want this to be my agenda or my words. I want this to be your heart, your goodness, your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a story that Jesus tells about demon possession. Yes, I'm starting there. It's awkward. Um, but there's weird stories in the Bible and it's just the way it is. So we're just not going to pretend that the weird stories in the Bible aren't there. We're just going to talk about them. So anyway, Jesus talks about demon possession, this specific, he actually happens all the time. Jesus is constantly running around casting out demons. But in Luke 11 and Matthew 12, if you want to go look at it, if you're like a note taker and you're like, I'm curious about this, please go look it up later. Um, but Jesus says that if there's a man and he has a demon cast out of him and that demon leaves and he runs around looking for someone else to mess with but then he's like I'm just gonna go back to the guy that I started with and he goes back to the guy that he started with and he finds that guy like a house swept clean it's all nice and tidy and he says Awesome. He gets seven more demons. They all come back and repossess the guy, and he's worse off than he was to start. Welcome to church. Sorry if you're new. Um, but what is there's a lot in that story that you can unpack, but this is what I, I want to start with. Whenever God fixes something in our life, whenever God frees us some, from something, that something has to be replaced with something positive on the other end. If our life just stays empty, we are like that man whose house is swept clean. And before we know it, if we don't replace that negative behavior, that negative pattern with something positive, we could end up in worse trouble than before. We've got to replace the one thing with the positive thing, okay? So that's why I made us look at that weird scripture. So if we want to get rid of selfish ambition in our our heart, because that scripture I just read, obviously, selfish ambition leads to some mess in our life. Like it uses the word demonic in that scripture. Selfish ambition is not healthy for us. But if we want to get rid of selfish ambition, we have to replace it with something. And I would submit to you that the thing that we need to replace our selfish ambition with is holy ambition. God doesn't want us to have no ambition. He wants us to have ambition that is holy, that's not selfish. So what is holy ambition? We're going to read this section of scripture a bunch of times. Prepare yourself. It will be good for you, okay? So James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. So that's been the thing of James all the way, right? Like don't just be a doer of the word or don't be just a hearer of the word, be a doer also. Like don't just be a person who says you believe, actually live it out. By deeds done in humility. So don't do your good deeds for somebody to give you a pat on the back. Don't do your good stuff so that you can um, look great or get that position or whatever. Um, Deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So I mean, there's some people who boast about their ambition, and there's some people who have a selfish ambition and pretend they don't. Such wisdom, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. We do not want selfish ambition because we do not want disorder in every evil practice in our life. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate. This is what holy ambition looks like. Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers. By the way, a peacemaker and a peacekeeper, not the same thing. Peacekeepers pretend everything is fine and never have an awkward conversation that makes them uncomfortable. Peacemakers want to make peace. So they're willing to encounter a little discomfort. If it means peace in the long run, you can take that to the bank. All right. So peacemakers who sow in peace, because it's real peace, not fake peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. So my first point, holy ambition comes from kingdom vision another place where we find that selfish ambition word is in philippians 2 3. it says do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility so this is what you need to have instead of selfish ambition consider others as more important than yourselves kingdom vision considers others as more important than yourselves this is one of those things that sounds beautiful in the scriptures but living it out in our lives is like not as like yippee you know what I mean like it's just one of those things consider others as more important than yourselves Back to James 3 and 17, it says, but the wisdom comes from heaven Is first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit. Like some of these words, submissive, everyone hates that word. <laughs> Guys, it's okay, we can laugh. Let's just, just shake it off for a second. We're allowed to laugh at things. We can laugh at ourselves. We don't like to be called, told to submit, no one does. Like, have you ever told your kids to obey and they're like, no, right? <laughs> just me, okay. So good fruit, impartial, and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness kingdom and vision is understanding that yeah god what does want to do stuff through you he does want to as people sometimes say enlarge your tent he does want to supply you with stuff he does want to meet your needs that is who he is but it also means that we, that when we're doing that stuff in a godly way, we're not going to stop being all those other things to get the thing that God has for us. We're not going to stop being peacemakers. We're not going to stop being full of mercy. We're not going to stop being submissive, considerate. We're going we're to still have good fruit in our lives while we're going after the thing that God has for us. We're going to be impartial. We're not going to just be nice to the person who can get us something. But we're going to treat everyone with dignity. Every person like they're created in the image of God. Valuable. Crafted in, the, in, God's, crafted in their mother's wombs. Knit together by God's hand. Every single person we meet, we are going to treat like that. And before you think, Rachel, I don't do that. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Be honest with yourself. I'm already too hot for this thing. Happens every time. Anyway, all right. Every time. I don't know why I put it on. Okay. It just makes me feel like I got this when I put it on. Anyway, here we go. Two people in the room. There's those of us who know, like me, this is me, we are prone to selfish ambition we know it like we have big dreams we have stuff we want to go after we know oh yeah i'm i don't have a problem saying i am prone to selfish ambition i know i want to accomplish something and sometimes i tell myself it's for god but i also like attention and so like we know we know there's some of us in the room who know we've manipulated the god card to get something we've wanted There's some of us in the room who, maybe like Darian talked about a few weeks ago, we're all about God, somebody giving us that charismatic handshake. We're all about somebody blessing us with something. But then when we're all about somebody giving us that great deal, but then are like we willing to ask God if we're supposed to give someone the good deal? Are we willing to ask God if we're supposed to give? Are we willing to ask like we want someone to do that for us, but, like, I mean, God, God doesn't need me to do that, right? Whew. Help me out, okay? <laughs> You're making me feel like, I, like, like I, I know I'm being mean, all right? And so, and here's the thing about Christianity in our culture. We can use the God card to get ahead. But the God card is for others. When Jesus came to earth, I'm like jumping ahead of my notes, but it's fine, we're gonna read the scripture for real later. He submitted himself, he poured himself out. The God card is washing other people's feet. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless, like, you know, you come here, you know, we, we believe that God wants to take care of your needs. But we believe that we are blessed to be a blessing to someone else. And if you have things and you're only ever asking, God, give me, and you're never ever asking, what God, what do you want me to give? That is selfish ambition. That is using the God card for your own sake, not for the sake of others. There was a recent Barna study, and if you don't know, Barna is this organization that does tons of research to help churches, like, reach people and know what's happening generationally and all these kind of things. And so they did this study, and they actually interviewed Christians and non-Christians who are in the millennial and Gen Z age. And Christians scored better in, the, in generosity than the non-Christians did, so that's good, I guess. I'm glad about that. I was nervous about it when I first started looking at the study, if I'm honest with you. And so... Um, But we did a little bit better, but there was, like, a rank of what did my generation and younger than me think was the most important thing in their lives. And it was 11 things down before there was a goal, because it was about their goals, that had something to do with somebody else other than, like, their immediate needs. It was, like, I want financial security or, like, something for my family. It was all about, like, them. And I'm not saying you shouldn't want financial security or a family or any, please do not hear what I'm not saying. But at the same time, we are called to put others above ourselves. It shouldn't take us so long to get to something that has to do with somebody else. And before you think I'm just saying it's millennials that do that, I have a feeling that if some of you Gen Xers and boomers were in that study, it probably would have just looked the same. Let's be real, okay? <laughs> like, let's just, let's just be honest. That was just what the study happened to focus on because it was about helping churches reach that group. A kingdom mindset goes beyond you and directly affects you and even just your family. A kingdom mindset is about advancing the cause of Jesus. Do you want to know what, like I keep saying kingdom, 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 kingdom. And if you're new, you might be like, I don't know what this means. What is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? And I, that's a whole other message that I can't really preach the whole thing right now, but you can go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus talks about the kingdom all the time, and it will clear some things up for you, hopefully, but this is what the kingdom of God is, is Jesus coming to earth. He said, repent. Because the kingdom of God is here. It's Jesus. The kingdom of God is what Jesus brings us. It's it's Jesus coming to earth and saying, I have come to set the captives free. I have come to bring peace to those who need peace. I have come to heal. I have come to set the oppressed free. That is the kingdom. And guess what? The beautiful thing, this isn't just Jesus doing it all on his own. He wants to, he gives us the honor of partnering with him to bring the kingdom, to grow the kingdom and we get to do that it is a privilege it is an honor to get to do that but to do it we have to put others above ourselves when I think of holy ambition in the Bible I think of Nehemiah again If you don't know these stories, you can write them down. But Nehemiah was this guy, and he was working. The people of God had been taken captive. They were outside of the land that God had given them. And there was this guy, Nehemiah, and he was working for the king. And he hears about how God's city, the, the temple, it's all broken. It's in ruins. It's a mess. And he's just broken up about it. And he prays. And he's just like, God, we got to do something about this. And he has some boldness. And he goes to the king and he's like, because the king is like, why are you sad, dude? And, and then the king is like, tell me what the thing is. And me and is like, well, my city is destroyed. There's no temple. Everything is terrible. They're not safe. Would you, ha- like, let me go over there and fix it and pay for the money to do it and help us pay for protection too? And the king is like, sure. And that is holy ambition. He wasn't playing the God card just for his own comfort. He was playing the God card for the people of God to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish. It's Esther who goes before the king even though it might destroy her to save the people of God. That's kingdom ambition. That's holy ambition. I think of Jesus, like I said, who went about the earth doing his father's business. When it drew the crowds and when it annoyed the crowds, he was about his father's business. So then there's another group of people in the room who like I said, maybe think, I don't have selfish ambition because I don't have ambition. And for thank you, laugh group. Please be here next service in case there's also people who don't know they can laugh in the, that service. You guys are getting better though. Good job, I appreciate it. All right. But I would say that our lack of ambition, we call it humility, but it might just be selfishness. It might just be a lack of wanting to be uncomfortable. We might call it humility, but it might just be laziness. Another example of what kingdom mindset looks like is modeled in the Lord's Prayer. So the disciples come to Jesus. You probably are familiar with this, but they say, teach us how to pray and this is what he says our father in heaven your name be honored as holy your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven by the way i don't know if you've ever thought about that but that means that we have to pray for god's will to be done it's not just gonna happen you think about that for days um and you should that's that's how scripture works give us our daily bread And forgive us our debts. See, God wants to provide He wants to provide for your needs, He wants to forgive your debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This scripture or this prayer starts with first God our Father, first your kingdom come. Then we get to our daily bread. We get to forgive us our sins. We get to deliver us from evil. Let's just be honest. And if you're praying, good. Praying is better than not praying. But are we starting with deliver us from evil? Are we starting with forgive us our debts? Is our order backwards? Or are we starting with the kingdom? God our Father, your kingdom come. Because what God wants us to do is he's all about forgiving our debts. He is the God of more than enough. He is the God of life to the full. But let's make sure that our priorities are not just on us, but on his kingdom come. His will be done. Let's start there. Or there's some of the rest of you all who like, again, I'm just glad you're praying. But I am going to say this. You're just like, oh, God, help them or whatever. Oh, God, help me have a good day. Uh, just like be with my kids. And God is like, I am God and I don't even know what you want me to do. (laughs) Like, what does that even mean? Pray what you actually want. Pray for the actual thing. Be bold. Did you know you're in a, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've decided to follow Jesus, you are in a covenant relationship with you. He's literally not allowed to get mad at you and leave. He's not, he, I mean, he's, it's his character, he won't do it anyway, but he can't. So you can be like, God, you said you were gonna deliver me from this addiction. Let's do this. God, everyone at my job sucks. Maybe it's me too, but can we fix this please? Enough of your pansy prayers. You already, he's not gonna get mad because you prayed, so bold, okay? He's not as fickle as you are, okay. Which brings me to my next point. Point number two. Oh gosh, I only have one minute left. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Holy ambition requires. But a holy ambition and a kingdom mindset requires, this is big words, it's okay, Prior. you can handle it, crystallization of discontent. Doesn't that just sound awesome? Crystallization of discontent. I stole this from a guy from Australia named John Tyson, so it sounds even cooler when he says it. But we need some crystallization of discontent. You know what makes your prayers bold? When you've had enough. When you say enough is enough. Have you ever met someone who, yes, come on, when you say, who who, like, they like lost a bunch of weight and you're like, you almost don't recognize them and you're like, what happened? And they're like, I just had enough. I was just tired of not feeling good or whatever. Crystallization of discontent. Uh, We have to say, we have to stop saying, oh, it's so sad that everyone at my job whines all the time. It's so sad that whatever happens happens. It's so sad that so many people are addicted to opioids. It's so sad that so many people are in foster care. It's so sad. And we have to start saying crystallization of discontent. And we can't all crystallization of discontent about everything that I just said, but you need to have a thing that's your thing. You need to have some crystallization of disc- discontent. Some of you think you're holy because you never get riled up about every anything ever there's some things that are worth getting riled up about. And I'm not talking about being a jerk. And Jesus only ran and turned around, Jesus only like drove out money changers with whips one time, okay? That was one time. So you don't need to be running around every day doing that and be like, Jesus did it. But like, he also healed people and fed 5,000 people. Have you done that? Okay, be quiet. So... (laughs) This is my, one of my favorite examples of a crystallization of disco. It is so hot up here. Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. I think I have a picture. Do I have a picture? Did, did the picture work? Maybe it didn't. Dang it. Oh, oh, sweet. Okay, I just can't see it with the cheat screen. Rosa Parks. Okay, so Rosa Parks, and here's the thing, like, she was likable, so the civil rights movement picked her, but she still had to say enough is enough and say, even though I'm going to sit on the right seat on the bus that I, I should be able to have, and I'm not going to be a jerk. She wasn't punching anybody in the face. She wasn't. She's just sitting on the bus. And she said, enough is enough. Crystallization of discontent. I'm going to do this thing. I, this, this face of like, hey, I'm sitting on the bus. And the guy behind her who's, like, clearly uncomfortable, he's like, man, I don't You can correct me later if I'm wrong. But to me, his face definitely is, like, great. Civil rights are happening on my bus. I'm gonna be late to work. I mean, I guess like whatever, it's fine, but like does it have to be on my bus? Because we are not willing to let discomfort enter our lives we miss when there's holy ambition and sometimes we get annoyed with someone else's holy ambition because it's different than our holy ambition but it's still holy ambition do you understand what I'm saying there's some discontent that is healthy There's some discontent that we need in our life that says enough is enough. And for some of us, it doesn't need to just be big world changing, things like that. Some of you need to have some crystallization of discontent when it comes to that stuff in your life that you haven't let go of. Those things in your life that you've just tolerated. We need to stop just going, oh, it's okay. And we need, everything is fine demeanor is not faith, okay? Pretending everything is good rather than actually believing God to fix it is not faith. Faith faces the facts. It's honest about what's happening. And then it says God is going to do something about this. The portrait of holiness that we put on social media sometimes is selfish ambition. Because it's about, we care more about our life looking good than God making our life look good. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying put all your business on Facebook. I hate that. Like, but what I am saying is, Is it more important for you that people think your marriage is good and nobody knows what's going on and you look good? Or are you willing, to and I'm using marriages with this, are you willing to show some ugliness to fix some ugliness? Are you willing to let somebody see what's really going on so you can fix what's really going on? What's the thing you're tolerating that God has said, you need to pray about it, you need to be honest about it, or maybe you need to see someone about it, like see a counselor, see a friend, see someone. Sometimes that is selfish ambition because we care more about the perception of us than actually being holy. James 3.14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth, be honest. If God pops something in our life, an injustice, a problem, do we get distracted and purposefully hit the override button? We just watch the Netflix and we stop thinking about that problem in the world that bothers us or that situation in our marriage that needs fixed or that thing in our child that we just don't know what to do about. Holy ambition requires radical, sacrificial love. The kind of love that Jesus had. We're gonna read 17, uh, James three seventeen and 18 again. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That's radical sacrificial love. Other people's problems aren't just something we can pretend doesn't exist. Like if God's put a need in your life, you know that, it's like what Pastor Darian said a few weeks ago, if you see the need in someone's life and you go, okay, be at peace, but you have what they need, why? That's nothing. If you have what they need Meet the need. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying because the Bible also says the person who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever, okay? Like you could get in a ditch here. But I think for most of us in our culture, we tend to swing more on the side of it's about me. It's about me. Jesus gave up everything, all of his privilege all of his rights of heaven, and stepped out of heaven to start on earth as a baby. He gave up all of that. That's radical sacrificial love. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, it says, adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ, who existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He didn't have selfish ambition about being God. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity when he came as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on the cross. We have to have that same attitude. That's our attitude. I'm about to use a phrase that some of you might have a a pushback against because it's been weaponized or politicized. Just hear what I'm saying. It's out of a desire to help you live a life to the full. But all of us in the room have some kind of privilege or right or situation that someone else doesn't have. I mean, honestly, just by virtue of living in the country that you live in, you have certain privileges, certain access to things that other people do not have. And our culture says, use that for you. Take care of your family, take care of your needs, and then if you want to, if you feel like it, then you can help someone else. But that's not the same attitude of Christ Jesus who emptied himself. You know, I see this meme a lot that's like, I can't pour from an empty cup, but I understand what that's trying to say. Like we do need to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves. But sometimes you do have to get emptied if you're gonna take up the attitude of Jesus. Sometimes you do. And so rather than feel guilty or angry about the privileges that you have, about your privilege, what you should say instead is, God, who did you give me this privilege to help? Are my friendships just for me or are they also to help others? Are my situations just for me? Is my, are my advantages just for me? Are my whatever, is it just for me? Are the relationships that I have, like maybe if you know someone who is important or, or who has influence, is that just for you to use? Or is that also for God to use to help someone else that you know? Is that just, are you willing to share your rights, your privileges. And again, it's not about guilt or being like, I didn't work, or like, yes, you worked for what you got, but God gave you the ability to work. We have to, we pour ourselves out just like Jesus did. And the thing is, whenever we're pouring ourselves out out of wisdom, we will always get filled back up by Jesus. We really will. You might be hearing all of this and you might be getting pretty fired up. They're like, yeah, I'm going to go out. I'm going to pray for real stuff. I'm going to pray that every person in my, in my job gets saved. I'm going to pray that every, I'm going to pray that my kid stops being annoying. I'm going to pray for whatever. So some of you, you're like that. And some of you are like, Rachel, this just sounds hard. Why? Why did you have to come here and give us a message? It sounds so hard. And that's not my intention my intention is to give you some characteristics of holy ambition, to give you some things to strive for, to go after. But the source of the best holy ambition is a real, honest, raw relationship with Jesus. That's where this really comes from. There's this story of this revival, I think it was in, I meant to look it up before. It's either in Ireland or in Scotland, but it's the Hebrew Rides, a revival. And there was, they were praying for revival, this church was. And this dude, they've been praying, I guess, for a bit. And this dude stands up and is like, are you really going to do it? And then the building shook like an axe. And they all come out of the building. And all the people of their town have gathered around the church. And they all just start worshiping. Some of you, I told you that story, and just hearing it freaked you out a little bit because it's like saying to God, are you really gonna do it? You're like, ah! But it's okay. It's a real, raw relationship with Jesus. That's where holy ambition, that's the truest source of holy ambition is a real relationship with Jesus. It's easy to put yourself out there when you feel the love of the Savior. It's easy to stand up when you know that you, God's got you. James K.A. Smith says this resting in the love of God doesn't squelch ambition, it fuels it with a different fire. When you've been found, you feel free to fail. When you've been found, you're not so scared of what people are going to say when you've been found. You're not so scared of what's, what if I pray that and then nothing happens? You're not scared of that because you've been found. You've been found. Maybe you're in the room and freedom to fail sounds awesome to you. Maybe you're in the room and you don't you like this is all new to you, or maybe you've been away from it for a while. I want you to know that freedom to fail is available to you. That freedom to feel that kind of love, where you know you're good no matter what, where you're resting in God, so that it fuels some healthy, holy ambition. That Savior who came down to earth, who poured Himself out, is after you. He's after your heart because He loves you. Isn't that a God you want to follow? Isn't that a God you want to trust? Isn't that a God you know can meet your needs? Who can take care of you? Isn't that a good God? Let's pray. If you're in the room, nobody looking around, and you're you're saying, I want to follow that God. That God who poured himself out for me. Who gives me freedom to fail because I can rest in him. If that sounds like something you want to do, maybe you feel like maybe you kind of followed Jesus in the past or maybe you never have, but you want to say, I want to decide to do that today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to know who we're praying with and that you're here. So if that's you, if you would put your hand up and put it right back down. Okay, I see that. Awesome. Okay, this is what we're going to do in solidarity with the hand that I saw. Um, I want every person to repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to earth for emptying yourself for me. I believe you came. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. I want to follow you with every area of my life for all my days. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep keep yourself in that attitude of prayer. God, I just want to pray for every person in this room that you set holy ambition in their heart. If they've been in the room and they've been satisfied with cultural Christianity, God, I thank you that that you put some healthy crystallization of discontent in their hearts. That they're willing to say enough is enough, not on my watch. We aren't just going to play church in my house. We're not going to just play church in my life. We're going to do this for real. God, challenge their hearts, change their hearts, and put holy ambition in their lives. Where they need to take things seriously, help them see. Where they need to change their marriage, help them see. Give them that next step. Give them the clarity, God, to know what the next thing is. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.